0: Welcome to the Salem Alliance Church Podcast. To learn more about Salem Alliance, including gathering times and other resources, visit us online at salemalliance.org. Today's talk is given by Rob Basham.
1: We Thank you for engaging in the Lord's Supper with us and to all of those of you who took communion for the first time today. Congratulations. That is a tremendous thing. And we are glad that we're able to share in that with you. My name is Rob, one of the pastors here. And I'm joined on stage by William. Would you welcome William this morning? William pastors our youth at our International Prayer Gathering, which gathers every Sunday afternoon right here on our campus, and we're excited to hear from you today as well. We're going to get to team, tag team, preach today. But we're in our fourth week in family gathers, and we are talking about these timeless truths. We're gathering around the family table. There is no kids table at all. In fact, that's why you hear the fruit snacks right now, and you can go ahead and open up your fruit snacks. If you forgot to get fruit snacks on the way in, go ahead out and get them. If you don't have fruit snacks at home, I'm really sorry you didn't come prepared. That's our tradition around here, but we're doing fruit snacks, and we're looking at these timeless truths from scripture that are good for every age, that just kind of, they're good for every generation. And today, the, what we're going to be talking about is this, this topic of faith and feelings faith in feelings. Does anyone ever have feelings in this room, right? It's something that we all have, and yet the church doesn't talk about feelings very often. We don't talk about emotions that often. In fact, in my seminary studies, as I look at systematic theology books, very rarely, almost never, is there a theology of emotion or a theology of feeling that is mentioned. Almost never. The church doesn't really want to know or understand what to do with feelings. In fact, oftentimes, this is the way we interpret feelings. This train here. We have fact, and fact is what drives us. Fact is what drives us. It drives the engine of the train. And then we have faith, and that's a good thing. And faith gets to ride in the passenger car in the middle. And we don't know what to do with feelings, so we throw them in the caboose. If we mention them at all, it's an afterthought, and we toss them in the caboose. But you see, that's a problem because feelings and emotions are strong motivators in our lives. They're incredible ways. They're a gift that God has given us to express who he is to others, to express how we're doing inside us. And so today, we're going to talk about feelings. The theologian Walter Ewell goes on this historian's look at just how the church has many times neglected feeling and overemphasized intellectualism and traditionalism. Now, intellectualism and traditionalism are really important things. They're good things. We're an intellectual congregation. We are a word of God congregation. But what has uh, been born out of that is kind of this experimental theology and, and understanding of the spirit. And with that, at times, it's become an overemphasis on emotion and feelings. And it's important that we kind of have a balance in this because we are a word and spirit church. We believe in the Holy Spirit and the works that he's doing. His gifts are good for today. You know, if you've been attending here for any length of time, we are a word. We come under the word of God and we are a spirit church. And so today we're going to talk about these things. But you see, there's been this weird pendulum thing that we've gone from this cold intellectualism to this almost experiential faith. And with that, sometimes we have overemphasized feeling. Today, it is our hope to bring kind of attention and a balance to these things. One of the reasons I want to talk about this is because of the many conversations I've had with people that have left churches in the last five to six years. Not just our church, but many other churches. As I sit with people, many of them under the age of 35, and I ask them, why is it that you are turning your back on your faith and walking away? Usually it's not a hostile thing, but it's simply a, it's just not working for me. And when I ask, can you explain to me what you mean by it's just not working for me? The common thread that I hear is, I'm just not feeling it. I'm just not feeling it. I've prayed and asked God to reveal himself and make himself feel real to me and... He hasn't, and so I'm out. Sometimes it's the feelings of numbness that cause people to leave, and sometimes people walk away because they hit a level of desperation, and there's actually big feelings, and they don't know what to do with them. But we want to talk about this today. And my guess is that many of you here today are actually in a season where you're not feeling it, where that is actually your cry, And I want you to know this morning that you're not alone, and that we want to talk about that. And some of you are here today, and we're talking about people that have left the faith and your heart suddenly becomes heavy for a prodigal in your life, a son, a daughter, a brother, a sister, a parent, a close friend that have walked away from faith. The prodigals are many, and this is one of the reasons we're talking about this this morning. The pastor, Andy Stanley, kind of puts together this equation for this way of thinking where we're overemphasized feelings. And this is what he says. He gives us this equation. What's happening now and what I'm feeling now determines what I believe for now. What's happening now, and what I'm feeling now determines what I believe for now. If I'm to be honest, so many times when people ask me, how's your heart? How's your faith? How's your soul? This is the grid that I'm actually answering their question through. And if I'm to be honest with you, there are many seasons in my life where I have to simply say, I'm not feeling it right now. I don't know what's up. But church, we need to move beyond this to something a bit deeper, a non-circumstantial based faith, a, a faith that isn't just based on feeling, where we put somehow feeling as the engine of the train, See, feeling doesn't belong in the caboose, but it doesn't belong fully on its own in the engine. And so this morning, William and I, we're going to talk about what faith and feeling are. We're going to define those, and we're going to turn to scripture and look at the example of Abraham and how he kept his faith to the end despite some really big feelings that were going on. So William, would you kick us off by defining what is faith?
0: That's a very good question, what is faith? So I believe most of us will agree with me that faith is a broad term that points to different phenomena. For instance, we've had people say, I have faith, I will succeed despite the setback. Sometimes we hear a coach tell the team member, I have faith in you, go out there and win. And sometimes we refer to other people like this is a person of faith. But what is faith? See, the Bible says, Faith is, faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of things we cannot see. Faith has a level of assent in it. In that, um, we, we agree that this gift of the gospel is true, is accurate, and is powerful. See, faith has a level of trust that calls us to respond. I will define faith as something that has respect to which people are called to be receptive and active. People are called to be receptive because faith is a gift and we have to receive it. And this is how we receive faith. The Bible says we receive faith by hearing and by hearing the word of God. Faith is active, it calls us to respond to certain circumstances, the Bible says that faith without action is dead. So I repeat, faith is something that has respect to which people are both receptive and active. Pastor Rob, how will you define feelings and what does the Bible tells us about it?
1: How would I define feelings? That is a tough question. I know I have them. I have a lot of them. You know, feelings are, it's a hard thing. It's kind of our reaction. It's an emotional response, and it is our reaction. And I think uh, it's our perception, sometimes pleasant, sometimes unpleasant, of how we respond to what's going on internally. I think it's a lot easier to talk about feelings when you're talking about feelings with kids, right? You've got an almost three-year-old Eva, and I'm sure at times she throws tantrums. Maybe not. I mean, you're an incredible parent, right? But sometimes I think she probably throws tantrums. You're like, whoa, those are some big feelings. And I don't know if you ever use any of these feel wheels, but sometimes we can look at these feel wheels for kids and have them kind of show us like, all right, let's put some words to your feelings instead of some big actions to your feelings. How are you feeling? Is it Are you sad? Are you, sad? Are you happy? Are you scared? Is it anxiousness that you're feeling right now? And so we have these feelings. And as kids age, they're able to kind of handle their feelings a little bit better. And they might not seem so big. Seems like that hits a pause in middle school. It feels like middle school is freedom to express your feelings in, in big ways again. But then as, as we grow, we continue to have lots of feelings, right? But i think sometimes kids look at adults and say they seem like to have their feelings generally pretty together well kids here's the deal when you get older you still have feelings like lots of feelings here's, here's how many feelings you have here's the adult feel wheel <laughs> like there's there's still feelings trust me kids this is what's coming for you next right You've got all these feelings, and you're trying to figure out, like, what is going on? How do I handle these things? What am I really feeling right now? What is the root of what I'm feeling? And feelings are there. And they they do a lot in our lives. They, like, they really affect how we act and what we're doing. And we need to understand that feelings play a vital role in our lives. But what I want you to hear me understand, understand this. Like, feelings are good. Feelings are a gift from God. We are made in His image. And guess what? God has emotions. Lots of them. In scripture, we see that he experiences grief and anger and compassion and love and jealousy and joy, just to name a few. Jesus, when he walked this earth, wept. Jesus, when he walked this earth, dealt with grief and betrayal. He was angered and he flipped over tables and it was a solid, righteous anger. He had emotions. In church family, we are created in his image. We are emotional, feeling beings and that is a good thing. That is okay. Okay. May you experience a peace that transcends all understanding. May you feel that tranquil peace. Understand that you will likely hit seasons that are difficult where you have to cry out like the writer of Ecclesiastes and say, this all seems incredibly meaningless. I don't know what's going on. My work is toilsome. Why am I here? And you're just venting all of those things. Like, we're made to do this, and we cannot ignore our feelings. They're valuable, and they're biblical, and they give voice to our heart and our soul. And so we need to value feelings. We need to understand that they shouldn't be driving the chain, the train, but they are important. But you know what kills me? Oftentimes, the church is known as the people that stuff the feelings, that they don't talk about it. It's kind of like we follow the advice of my reading rainbow friend here. You can't get your feelings hurt if you don't have any. That's bad advice. That's horrible advice. This meme that's gone around is not where we want to stay. We need to realize that feelings are amazing. But we need a balance and we need attention in it. And like so many things in life, oftentimes we fall to one extreme or the other with regards to feeling. Some of you in this room, you're rationalists. And so if you're into rationalism, then this is probably a quote that maybe you have said or you would agree with. We put our trust in God, not our emotions. I'm not a fan of that saying because it simply says that your emotions and your feelings are untrustworthy, that you should fear them. And friends, we should not fear our feelings and our emotions. But then on the other extreme, we have this emotionalism. And this emotionalism can be defined by the quote, I can't help the way I feel, What do you want me to do? I can't help the way I feel. And many of you have spoken those words. And I don't like that quote either because it says your feelings have total control over you, that they are driving the train, and that faith has to follow that. And so somewhere in the middle is where we're called to be. Because emotions are a bad litmus test of how our faith is when that's all we're looking at. We shouldn't be coming to church looking simply for an emotional high. But we also need to understand that our emotions are not untrustworthy. They're actually super important in our spiritual journey and how we hear and interact with God, how we show His love to our community. They help us express that. They indicate what we value and believe, and they reveal so clearly what's really going on deep down inside. And so we need to pay attention to them. One way that we can learn more of how to handle our feelings and how to keep our faith is to look at the story of Abraham in Hebrews 11. And so, William, would you talk to us a little bit about this story as well as sharing a little bit about your own personal story?
0: Thank you, Rob. Before I share, I just want to ask a question to us. How many of us have been in a a desperate situation before? How many of us have been in a situation or a desperate situation and they wanted it changed before? Just like you, I have been in a, a desperate situation. Not once, not twice, but many times. You see, these are the moments when our feelings are magnified, right? These are the moments that are the make and the break of our faith. Those moments are desperate moments. I wanna share a little story about myself before even we look at the Bible. See, I grew up in Kenya. Kenya is located in the east part of Africa. And Kenya is ranked as one among the poorest countries in the world. Unfortunately, I grew up in a low income family. So it was hard to make ends meet. For for us in Kenya, for you to go to ninth grade, you have to pass a national exam. So I was lucky, I passed that and I I, I enrolled to high school. And for you to go to college, you're also supposed to pass another national exam. I did pass, but I could not enroll to college because we did not have the finance and my dad was paying school fees uh, for my siblings. But one day in a vacation Bible school, someone approached me and said they were going to pay my tuition. I remember how I was so happy to hear that I will finally go to college. I felt like my dream came true. So a week before the enrollment, I quit my job. I started telling my neighbors how I'm so happy that I'm going to college and how I will miss them because I was going to, uh, to live on campus. I could imagine how it would feel, waking up one day in the morning and walking to this building called the dining hall, and someone serves me food. I was so happy. So I called this person and we arranged a meeting. He called me back and he told me, William, I have the tuition with me, but for some reason, I'm not going to pay for your college. I was shocked. I was crushed. I felt like I was, I, was, I was drowning in the deep oceans. It was painful. And I remember I turned to God. And I asked, why? God, why me? I was so desperate to go to college to a point that when that was taken away from me, I was ready to walk away from faith. Let's take a pause and let me ask a question. Will this desperation destroy your faith or deepen it? We will get back to that. But now we want to look in the Bible for a man whose, during his desperate moment, his faith was deepened. And we see this in the book of Hebrews. And I'm going to ask Pastor Rob to read that for us.
1: Hebrews 11. It was by faith that Abraham obeyed when God called him to leave home and go to another land that God would give him as his inheritance. He went without knowing where he was going. Abraham was confidently looking forward to a city with eternal foundations, a city designed and built by God. It was by faith that even Sarah was able to have a child, though she was barren and was too old. She believed that God would keep his promise. And so a whole nation came from this one man who was as good as dead, a nation with so many people that, like the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore, there is no way to count them. It was by faith that Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice when God was testing him. Abraham, who had received God's promises, was ready to sacrifice his only son, Isaac, even though God had told him, Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted. Abraham reasoned that if Isaac died, God was able to bring him back to life again. And in a sense, Abraham did receive his son
0: back from the dead. Thank you so much, Rob. Most of us know this story about Abraham and how God called him. How Abraham was desperate to have a son and God provided. But then one day God comes to him and says, hey Abraham, I want you to sacrifice your son. I know the Bible does not tell us how he felt, what his emotions were. But I can imagine as a parent how painful and how hard was was it for him to bear. Knowing that he was the one who was going to sacrifice his son. I can imagine the question he had for God, remembering the promise that I'm going to make you a father of a great nation through this son. But now God is asking him to sacrifice him. During this desperate moment, Abraham obeyed. And as we have read, God provided a lamp for the sacrifice. Now back to my story. It was a very hard season for me, knowing that that opportunity to go to college was taken away. But then I realized two truths. I realized that I was weak. I had a weak faith. But also I realized that God was faithful. So I told him, I will trust you. The following week, I was supposed to help at a medical camp, and someone came to me again and said, I want to pay your tuition. And this is how the story ends. I was able to go to college. Because just like Abraham, when I let God take control, God made a way. In our desperate moment, may we allow God's will to be done. Not our desires, but God's desire. Desperation creates these big feelings. And when that happens, we come to a crossroad and either we deepen or destroy faith. Pastor Rob, will you tell us what we can do so that when we come to this desperate moment, we can still remain grounded?
1: Yeah, William, thanks for sharing your story. And church family, I think, like you said, faith is both receptive and action, right? It's active. And so we receive this word. But what are some steps of action that we can take? What are some next steps that maybe we can walk through to just strengthen and encourage our faith? Let me end this morning by just giving you a couple of these next steps, three of them. First one is so blatantly obvious that I feel bad even having to say it. But can we talk about our feelings? Can I just encourage you to be honest and talk about your feelings? Talk about how they impact you, how they impact how you relate to God, how they affect your faith. We need to talk about these things. A few years ago, uh, there were a lot of articles that were being published about the millennial generation and how the millennial generation, there was this massive exodus from church. Millennials all over the country, they were leaving church, walking away from their faith. And many people were just having these conversations of like, why? And church leaders were just freaking out and saying, what are we doing wrong? What do we need to do? Well, our team, our leadership here at Sam Alliance, we started to look at the numbers and we realized that actually we weren't losing a lot of millennials at Sam Alliance church and so we were wondering like why and we were like we have no idea but you know who knows but no we started to really drill down and here's why we think that many stayed here at Sam Alliance because we're a multi-generational church We think it's an incredible gift that we are a multi-generational church and that this morning there are two, three, even in some pews, four generations that are worshiping together. We love the fact that if you are in your 20s, you can, between services, talk to somebody that might be in their 60s and simply ask them, did you ever have one of these I'm not feeling it moments? What did you do? Did you walk away for a little while and come back? Or what anchored you so that you were able to get through that season of life you see those conversations that are able to happen because of the richness and the beauty of our multi-generational church are valuable may you not miss them even this week would you consider talking to somebody that that likely has walked through that desert season and come out the other end and ask them how did you get through what works for you what did you do that allowed you to stay anchored and plugged in A second thing that I want to encourage you to do is to go Psalm 42 on your feelings. Go Psalm 42 on your feelings. Talk to your feelings like the psalmist does. You see, oftentimes we wake up and we let our feelings talk to us. We let that self-talk get the best of us and it starts to dictate what our day is going to be like. But can I encourage you to talk to your feelings, to go Psalm 42 on your feelings. Psalm 42, like many of the psalms that we see, has a very clear pattern in it. I am, but God, you are, so I will. I am angry. I am disappointed. I am depressed. I am full of anxiety. I am fill in that blank. But God, you are. William, you said when you got to this, I am disappointed. I am weak in my faith, but God, you are faithful. You are true to your promises. So I will. And then you determine how you will act. In Psalm 42, the psalmist says, now I am deeply discouraged, but I will remember you, God. You pour out your unfailing love on me each night. You are my rock and I cry out to you. So I will Put my hope in God. I will praise him again, my Savior and my God. Church family, we've shown you this before, but can I encourage you this week to every morning simply wake up and write a psalm. Talk to your feelings. Go Psalm 42 on your feelings and talk to your feelings. Don't let them talk to you. Don't let them be the train engine that dictates where your faith is going, but bring them along for the ride. And the final thing here is one that I think is really important. Church family, may we realize that in those moments where we aren't feeling it, yet we remain, yet we lean in, that that is actually extravagant, extravagant worship. You see, many of you here today, you're not feeling it, and yet you're here. You're prevailing. You're walking in perseverance, You're attempting to stand and mouth words and take the the bread and the cup. And you're leaning in, but you're not feeling it. You're leaning in, but you're in a dark season of life. You're leaning in, and things aren't going well. And can I just tell you, that is amazing. That is incredibly extravagant and high worship. And your Father God looks down on you, and he sees you. He sees you, and he receives your worship. He receives your response in the desert season of your life, and it is beautiful to him. One of my favorite passages of Scripture is in John 6. And in John 6, we see Jesus is giving this really, really difficult teaching, and many, many people that have been following him desert him. They leave. They say, this is such a difficult teaching, it's hard to understand who could possibly accept this. And Jesus turns to his inner 12, his 12 disciples, and he says, are you leaving too? Are you also going to abandon me? And it's Peter that speaks up, and he says, Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words that give eternal life. We believe and we know you are the Holy One of God. Some of you here today are in the dark night of the soul season. Your anxiety has turned to panic. Your depression is getting the best of you. Some of you are here today and you're in that desperation that William was talking about. Your marriage is not going really well. There's an estranged relationship in your life that is consuming your self-talk. And yet you're here. You are here and you are leaning in and it might not feel like it's working and you might feel numb and yet you're here worshiping through the pain, worshiping through the silence, worshiping through the difficulty. And can I just say that your presence here is extravagant worship. Thank you for leaning in. As we head back into worship now, I just want to just encourage you, some of you even this morning, Would you bring that truth to God? Would you be reminded of him? Remind him how you're feeling and sing the truths of who he is and begin to formulate how you plan to respond even as we worship. Would you stand and join me in prayer? Jesus, we declare that you are a good father. You love your children. And you see those of us in this room that are struggling. Those of us in this room that just aren't feeling it. You see us. But Lord, would you release breakthrough even this morning as we declare who you are? Would you receive our extravagant worship to you? We love you. We tell you that your faithfulness endures. Come and meet us here this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: Thanks for listening to the Salem Alliance podcast. We hope you have been challenged and inspired. Salem Alliance is a community of believers located in downtown Salem, Oregon, and we are passionate about our city being a city at peace with God. To experience other messages and discover more about who we are, please visit salemalliance.org or download the Salem Alliance app. And again, thanks for listening.